I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. Welcome back to More Than Profit. And if you didn't notice, we took the month of August off, and that was because I had a sabbatical this summer. I was able to step away with my family for seven weeks, travel the country, 8,100 miles, seven weeks, six human beings, two dogs. It was a lot of fun. Um, But ready to get back to it and excited for the conversation today. Uh, One of the things we're doing in Louisville right now is uh, the Reconstruct Challenge, and it's looking at systemic problems and challenges that we see that many communities face specifically around housing, housing affordability, employment, and uh, all of the things that are interrelated with with those issues. Um, And we have a grant program that's going on right now where five innovators from across the country are receiving $100,000 each to implement their solutions in the Louisville and Southern Indiana area. And I'm excited today to sit down with Jared Walker, uh, the the CEO and founder of one of those solutions, Dollar Four, headquartered out of Vancouver, Washington. And uh, Jared, why don't you, I was going to do it, but why don't you give us the quick, what is dollar four and uh, what is it you are trying to do in the world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Dollar four, we, we crush medical bills. We, we help people get <laughs> uh, medical bills to go away. So um, through patient advocacy, we, uh, we enforce hospitals' charity care policies. So a lot of people have no idea what that is, uh, which we can get into, but uh, essentially, most hospitals in America are nonprofits, uh, which means that they have to have these financial assistance or charity care policies in order to prove to the IRS that they're providing community benefit. Um, and if you make within a certain income range, they will waive your medical bills. Uh, most people don't know that. So we've got millions of people that are declaring bankruptcy or on payment plans for bills they don't have to pay, which is frustrating. Um, and we help patients through that process. That's fantastic. And I think the, the interesting thing, I mean, there's a couple things and we'll tease them out, but I think the fascinating thing a lot of people don't realize is that most hospitals in the country are nonprofit. And, and it's fascinating too, because like, I think one of the things I've even looked at is like pay, pay levels for uh, <laughs> yeah. executives. And you're just like, oh yeah, nonprofits don't pay anything. I was like, you look at that stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, can you believe what the CEO of that nonprofit hospital paid themselves last year? It's, it's crazy. It, it's wild. Yeah, uh, I have, I have gone through a handful <laughs> of nine nineties, uh, looking up, looking up salaries, and uh, yeah, it's it's a little frustrating, um, but definitely mm. people have no idea that they're nonprofit and and like what that means, um, mm-hmm. the the benefits that they get for being nonprofit. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's the interesting the the benefit side of it. Like there there is a definite benefit, and I think the other side is nonprofits are still a business, so the fact that a hospital is making revenue or income off of uh, filing for health insurance claims or whatever. It's not, it's not negative. Like they still have to pay their doctors. They still have to provide those services, but there is a charitable benefit that status and what that means in a community and then how they're living that out. Um, and then how oftentimes people don't even know this is available to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I posted a video yesterday about <laughs> just that, like people sometimes will say, you know, well, if, if people start applying for, you know, financial assistance and charity care, you know, may, will, will these hospitals go bankrupt or, or something like that? Um, like, is this, you know, is this going to do harm to the healthcare system? Uh, there's a organization called the Loan Institute that does a, it's like a fair share spending report. Basically, 
they assign a number um, to each hospital for what they're getting in benefits from their tax exemption because you can assign a number to that. And in theory, you're supposed to have like the community benefit that you provide should line up pretty closely with that number because that's the whole reason why you're a nonprofit is so that you can give back Mm -hmm. to the community. Um, And there are hospitals that operate at like a $700 million deficit every year. (laughs) So it's like they are getting that much more from their tax exemption uh, without giving it back to the community, uh, which is a problem. So, wow. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned a, uh, a video that you posted. So I think, Two things are probably true. There's a personal story in how you started Dollar Four, and then there's also the vi- the viral nature of what got you guys kicked kicked uh, kicked off. Because it was correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you have like a a TikTok video that really kind of jettisoned yeah. uh, the life of of Dollar Four? Yeah, and they are two completely separate stories. So I don't know where you want me. <laughs> I, let's go with both start. of them. Let's start with like okay. So for you personally, obviously Dollar Four nonprofit focused on helping eliminate debt for low-income families specifically across the country, medical debt. Why do you care? Why are you doing this? Yeah, so it actually started as Dollar for Portland. Um, (laughs) And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, My wife and I, 2012, we were sitting at home. She got a phone call. Her aunt had passed away from cancer. About 15 minutes later, I got a phone call. My cousin had gone into labor seven weeks premature. Baby needed heart surgery to live. Mm. And families were, you know, running around wondering how are we going to pay for it? And I was like, I don't know, 20, 23, 24. So that was the first time that I had seen a, a medical crisis means a financial crisis. Mm. And I had, I had never seen that firsthand. And it, it made me really frustrated that that was like the conversation that, that I, you know, kept hearing people saying. And so I just wanted to help people, you know, hopefully avoid the financial burden that comes with, with a medical crisis. And so from there I had this idea of, Oh, we can, you know, kind of crowdfund. We can get people in in Portland to, to give small reoccurring monthly donations. Every month we'll pool the money together. We'll pay medical bills for people in our community. So that's how I started it. Hmm. And, I didn't even know what charity care was at that point. So several years go by and yeah, we're, we're crowdfunding and helping people out. So no, you're doing this before the charity care was even on your radar. Yeah. I had no okay. idea. Well, yeah. Cause I'd felt like a freaking chump <laughs> because I had been paying <laughs> medical bills for years oh, for low wow. income families that all would have been eligible for free oh my or reduced gosh. care. So when I, I, so how did you come to know about charity care then? So Eli, Eli rush banks, he's on our, well, he was on our board. Now he's, uh, He's on staff. Um, hmm. We were at like some networking event and we got to talking. We were both like guests. We didn't know anybody. So we just started chatting and he was like, oh, have you ever heard of charity care? Cause I'm telling him what, you know, what we do. And he's like, oh, you should look into, into this law. Like, you know, blah, blah. And so I, when he told it to me, he's like, yeah, if you're within the income range, the hospitals legally have to waive the bills. And I'm like, okay, dude, like <laughs> there's no way that that's real. And then, um, looked into a little bit. We, we met up a few times and dug into some of these policies. And w- like, I remember we, we like sent in the first one. We're like, cause neither one of us had done it. We just read the law hmm. and it was like, there's no way that this is going to work. Um, but it did. So, wow. So how much, so to date, how many, how many people do you track? Like the number of people you've been able to help 
uh, as it relates to to dollar four and the amount of dollars that you've been able to do? How, how do you tra- what do you track as as success metrics for you? Yeah, so I think it's um, people served, debt relieved. So we just I think we're just about to hit twenty million dollars in medical debt relief. Wow. Um, and and really, what's the average person carry in, that you're working with? The average debt submitted to us is about eighteen thousand. Wow. Yeah. So um, eighteen thousand submitted from a person, and you've already helped twenty million dollars in value. It's mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, and it's I mean, it kind of is all over the place because we've gotten thirty dollar medical bills waived. We've gotten sure four hundred fifty thousand dollar medical bill waived. You, you know what I mean? So wow. it's like uh, four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, I mean we've got this. The coolest wow. thing is our little. Uh, you got a tracker? Well, we got our, a Slack channel where it's just like the community. That's and cool. celebration one. So today, $8,484, $10,553, $27,500. So it's like every That's time we cool. get a bill waived, everybody celebrates in the, in the Slack really cool. channel. So let's, still, let's stay on you because I do want to get to the viral video aspect of kind of your, your store. But uh, what, what drives you? What motivates you? Like what, what, what inspired you at an early age to even pursue kind of this pathway as it pertains to uh, to community and helping others? Like, was there an individual person? Was there a group of people? Like, what what has shaped Jared's outlook and perspective on the world? That's a hard question. <laughs> it's a big one. Boom! I know. Well, it's like pe- people expect this, like, healthcare background sure. or nonprofit background. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I was bartending, going through school. I didn't even finish school. What's your like, favorite cocktail? Uh, I... I usually just drink mezcal. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, mezcal. So you bartended through school. So you don't have the healthcare background. You don't have the nonprofit traditional background. But so like then what? What? Yeah, really. I, I really. Um, I, I remember going through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was that personal experience specifically. Yeah, and it just really, it really, um, really frustrated me because I, I grew up in a you know a family of seven uh my my dad like we we didn't make a bunch of money um not at all and uh seeing people like the idea that you can lose everything because you get sick just really (laughs) frustrated me uh so that was like i i that day i remember being like there's no way uh like where can i volunteer where can I help people in this situation? Couldn't find any organizations doing it. Um, they were like directly trying to relieve medical debt for people. And it was, um, I remember looking at the stats and it was, cause it's like, okay, I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, that, that's going through this. So uh, it was like 65% of bankruptcy in, bankruptcies in America because of medical bills. Um, 78% of these people have insurance. And then there was another one that really got my attention it was like 83 percent of the people that declare bankruptcy because of medical bills it's on bills that are less than ten thousand dollars wow and that was really eye-opening to me because i'm thinking oh bankruptcy this is like you know hundred thousand dollars something like that but it's not and i remember like the first families that we helped it was always like single mom kid gets cancer four thousand bucks like and if, if you don't have it yeah. It, it may as well be a hundred thousand dollars. Like, it, you know, you don't have it. So that was, um, that was the thing that motivated me. Um, I don't know if I can like assign it to a, you know, 
person or or like what it really I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah, um, well, I, I only ask because I think it's it's fascinating to me just having done this so much talking to people. You know, there's there is a person sometimes, or there's an experience, and it sounds like you experienced something at a formative age uh, in a personal way that has shaped your perspective on what is right, what is good, what is pure, and a desire then to pursue to pursue change. I think that's that's profound. So then talk to us about this video. Like you guys had a, you know, some videos I think that also helped as you were exploring this because I think again as we're talking a lot of this stuff no one realizes. You know what I mean? Like nobody realizes most nonprofit uh, hospitals are nonprofit. Nobody realizes that 65% of people that file bankruptcy, it's because of medical debt. Nobody realizes that, you know, like these are staggering numbers and we just kind of brush by it because it doesn't maybe personally impact us. I think some of it's making people confronting them with the reality of these numbers and the, the fact that it's not just numbers, these are people behind the numbers. And so I think, you know, for you, uh, that's where I think, I, I personally love the fact that, you know, you've used videos in a powerful way because at Access Ventures, we are, fundamentally about the power of story and how it can shape people uh, in, a, in a real way to, to move towards action. So talk to us about like the impetus there or what you were doing or and how that fits into your strategy. And is that just a personal thing or is that really something like you thought about or whatever? Yeah, the, <laughs> the video, the TikTok video. <laughs> uh, it's, so it's always stu- a TikTok video, it, right? <laughs> it's so stupid, man. I, I can't like, I, I feel... Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's a weird thing to say. Like, a TikTok video changed our organization <laughs> completely. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 nuts. Um, so when I found out about Charity Care, I went around and trying trying to find people that had medical bills. I was filling out all the paperwork, doing this. I remember sitting in my car. I got a phone call. He 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 was like, "Hey, man, I just got this letter from the hospital. They said that my my bill was zeroed out and it was like an $8,000 bill. It was the first one I ever got to disappear. And I just, I couldn't believe it. So I, at that point, I'm shouting from the rooftops. I'm like, everyone needs to know about this. Like, I I mean, I said this earlier, but like literally millions and millions, tens of millions of people are on payment plans for bills that should be waived. There are, you know, uh, we're working with this group of churches. I mean, and that's crazy. Like, yeah, it, it's it's insane. Like on a payment plan, which is supposed to be, quote unquote, helping them, you know, and they could have it waived. I mean, I just, I'm sorry. I just wanted to stop there for a second because it's yeah. just crazy. No, it it is, and it's it's um, it's wild. And, and and people, I think that there's like a lot of misconceptions. Like, oh, I probably make too much money, or you know, oh, well, I don't qualify for food stamps, so I'm not going to qualify for this. Like. They're more generous than, than what people think. Um, so I'm I'm going around. I'm telling everybody. So I like I I started Dollar for Portland out of coffee shops, breweries, music venues in Portland. Literally me with an iPad. You know, sign up for a dollar a month. Sign up for you know let let's help people with medical bills. So um, from there, I just kind of took that same strategy of like I'm just spreading the word, telling people what charity care is, gonna help them. Like I would you know post up with you know all the. We have like four or five hospitals in our area. So I just post up with all their applications. I just fill them out for people on the spot, like do do whatever I could to, to spread the word about it. So um, I'm 
it was my my little sister was like, oh, you should get on TikTok. People would love what you're doing on uh, with Dollar Four. And I was like, no freaking way. And I get, I like, I already hate having to keep up with anything on uh, Instagram awesome. or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I'm like, I'm not adding another one. So, so you, li- so, so, well, hold on. You weren't on TikTok. No, that, <laughs> no, I wasn't. So that that's like. So I think that was in at Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, because awesome. she was in she was in town. She actually was in uh, uh, Hopkinsville. Oh, funny. So uh, that's funny. So, so <laughs> then Christmas, she comes in town again. She's like, "Hey, did you get on TikTok?" I'm, she's like, "I'm telling you, Jared. Like, people will like what you're doing on TikTok. It'll blow up." I was like, "Okay, whatever." So, a couple weeks go by. I had had a couple of mezcals at, at the office, <laughs> and As I am scrolling through TikTok. I download the app. And I see that what's a piece of information that feels illegal to know. That was like the prompt. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, I know this one. Like I can make a video right, right now. Like this is like, this is the best kept secret of the Affordable Care Act. Nobody knows about it. Um, so I made the video. I had, I had never made a video before on TikTok. I had zero followers. Like it, it just, I posted it. And went to sleep, and the next morning I woke up, and it had like fifty thousand views. Or oh something. my god! And I was like, "What is going on here? Like that is nuts." So I put my phone down again. I, you know, refresh it after like fifteen minutes. It has a hundred thousand views, and so I'm like, "Oh, this is this is like happening." Uh, so yeah, by the end of it, it has I don't know thirty million views or or something like that. It, it just went because someone someone took the video from TikTok, posted it to Twitter, it was on the front page of Reddit and, you know, just went crazy. So the problem was I told people at the end, because again, I don't have any followers or anything. So I'm like, maybe 50 people are going to see this. So at the end, I'm like, hey, if you need help, you know, just shoot me a, a DM and I'll I'll help you out with your financial assistance. So we have like tens of thousands of messages coming in from TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, our oh website. Oh my gosh. I mean, at that point, I still had my personal number tied to like the Instagram. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm getting calls and it's just like, so yeah, it just totally, totally popped. So we were helping people in Oregon, Washington, and California at that time. And it was like overnight, we were, had to figure out how to scale to like a national So what, give me a, give me a time frame. What year was this? This was the beginning of last year. Okay. So yeah, like January. So until beginning of last year, a dollar for Portland, kind of helping people uh, pay off their debt or get it canceled rather, um, and then all of a sudden it blows up. So I'm looking at your shirt and it says dollar four, and then a box, and it's five million right now. Um, talk to me about like how you went about expanding from what started as dollar for Portland and how you're now thinking about dollar four and. And even your just your brand identity and kind of where where you go from here. Yeah, so Dollar for Portland pretty much stopped. I dropped the Portland in 2018 because we started getting into Washington, California, and then that's when we we shifted from like helping individual families pay medical bills into patient advocacy and enforcing these these policies. So we have been. Um, trying to i mean it's really just i mean it's just been a shit show <laughs> it's just been like the last year it's like okay what do, you know what do we do everything last year the last year and a half i've just kind of felt like 
everything has changed week over week. There's a major decision that needs to be made. Like mm. we're, I, I mean, at the beginning of last year, it was just me. Mm. And now we're a staff of seven. We've got 250 volunteers. Like it's a, it's a lot to manage. Yeah. So it, it's been, uh, so I don't even know what your question was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, just your, your brand identity. And cause like, again, I think sometimes that's amazing. Like you, you mentioned you had your personal phone number attached to one of the accounts. And so like, you know what I mean? Like, so all of a sudden you get thousands of inflow from this video and your heart and your passion is to help these people cancel the debt that they should already have canceled just by making them aware of something that's available to them. And so now like, okay, I have this, I need to help these people, but I also don't have the infrastructure established. And so, you know, help me understand the last 12 months. And then what is, you know, like the next 12 and 20, like, how do you see dollar for, you know, like really being catapulted into, into your, you know, your, your full vision of what that could be over the next two to three years. Yeah. So first thing was, how are we going to figure out how to quickly identify if someone's eligible for these services? So after the viral video, it was, we need to create like an eligibility screener, which means we needed to, so it's a like, quick intake process in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem with that is, there are thousands of hospitals. I mean, there's 5,000 hospitals in America. Most of them are nonprofits. And even the for-profit hospitals have these policies. There's just not a federal law saying that they, you know, they have to have it. And every single policy is different. Mm. Every single application is different. So there's nothing standardized about this process at all. So we had to go. We had um, a volunteer reach out. She organized a group of like 50 other volunteers and we captured the financial assistance policy data for every hospital in the country, put it into this database and created a web tool to quickly identify someone to see, you know, household size, income, what hospital, how old the bill is. And then it will tell them, okay, according to that info, you're eligible or you're not. Then we get all the info, fill it out, send it to the hospital and, and advocate from there. So through this like process of patient advocacy, we've realized, and this is something I never never thought that we would be doing but we <laughs> it's like we know what the the policies look like on paper but we also know what they look like in action hmm. because we're doing the advocacy for for these patients and sometimes there's a huge disconnect there uh sometimes hospitals just do blatantly illegal stuff in their policies they um say that they do one thing they don't they um they don't do stuff that they say that they do. So it's like, it's really weird, but we're able to, through the patient advocacy, kind of find the bad actors. So I and, think- And what are you able to do with that? Like, because there's a, there's a federal mandate, there's a requirement. Are you, are, is, is there any, you know, patient advocacy group? I mean, like, how does that work where, because I have to believe hospitals, by and large, don't love what you do. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, you know what? You should ask them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I get asked that all the time. Like, so do hospitals hate you? Every hospital I've ever talked to is always like, oh, wow, that's so great. We wish more people would apply for financial assistance. So it's like, it's like they've all been trained to, they have their PR notes. They have exactly. their talking points. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that they're thrilled about it, but but it, when you approach, when you come across, and we don't need like, names or anything, but when you do and you see blatantly uh, illegal or kind of misleading 
policies or procedures? Like, what is the recourse there? Like, how do you? So one example. How do, how do you? How do you do that? Well, we're we're about to find out. <laughs> um, one example. So we, I had a patient um, from Arizona. She had like a thirty-four thousand dollar bill. Um, she was eligible. There was just no question about it. And the hospital was they're just being annoying about it. And they they wouldn't approve her. And I trying to escalate it, get you know, I'm like, I want to talk to someone in, in revenue cycle. Like I know that this is gonna get approved. I just how big of a fuss do I have to make? So through a handful of conversations that I've had with hospitals, I've always been told from like hospital executives and people that are like, hospitals don't care about attorneys, they care about bad press. So I blasted them on on our social media. I just tagged them and told the story and it was just a bloodbath. I mean, it was like our fault, you know, everyone is tagging this hospital, you know, hey, do the right thing. You know, it was it was hilarious. Within a couple hours, the head of revenue cycle called me. The bill was gone, like it was it was fixed. So, we know that that works at an individual level, but not at a systemic level. So we're going to test at, at the policy level. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what we're getting into is um, we are going to create such, and, and these are like, these like an example of this would be a hospital has to have charity care, but they'll put in their policy that, you know, well, we don't give charity care unless your bill is $5,000 or more. You can't do that. But there's no charity care police. There's no accountability in this space at all. So hospitals will just write in additional criteria in their policy without, with, with like, completely unchecked. <laughs> so that would be an example of something that's just illegal. You can't, you can't have a minimum bill amount for charity care. So Oh, interesting. We will test this theory uh, of... W- and we've done this a couple times, send a, a demand letter to the hospital, say, hey, this is where your policy's messed up. You need to fix it. You have until X amount of time. Um, and then and then we go to town if they don't cooperate. So we'll see. So the idea is that through patient advocacy, we can actually drive policy change um, at the hospital level. Man. That's awesome. Well, so I uh, a question I have, so... Um, Obviously, you're here in town, so we're both in Louisville, Kentucky, right? We have listeners everywhere, but um, right now we're physically in Louisville because you're here to receive a grant to to, to do some work here in Louisville, uh, focused on on employment. And I would I would love to hear your 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 thinking around how, how does what you do in helping cancel the debt uh, of many citizens related to medical debt? Uh, how does that relate to employment? Because I think. What I love is that it does, right? I would first and foremost say emphatically it does because I think oftentimes when, when people think about employment and the opportunities to provide better employment, quote unquote, it, it's oftentimes like workforce training, upskilling, great, great initiatives. But when you think about the barriers for a person pursuing better employment, I think we need to to have a bigger, broader conversation. So I'd love to hear, like, when you think about dollar four and and how it helps build more equitable employment. What what, what would you tell people? Yeah. So I think one thing that I've kind of realized through 
doing this work is medical debt just bleeds into everything. I mean, it's it's wild. Uh, we hear these stories all the time um, of people that are like, yeah, I, uh, my credit's ruined, um, so I can't get a loan, can't get a car, can't drive to work, wasn't able to keep my job. Um, we hear that all the time. And uh, I left my job because I, because I need healthcare benefits and I need to get on Medicaid or I need to, you know, there's like a whole bunch of these different things that happen where it's like um, having consistent healthcare and, and access to healthcare allows people to have a greater peace about their life to, to be able to keep steady job uh, and, and better employment. So I think that, and I, I mean, we can get into more, more details, but it's like, it just bleeds into everything. And there's so many people that, uh, that, that one, the first example is the one that we hear so much of just like my credit's ruined. I can't do this. I can't get to work. I can't. Um, and it just kind of like spirals out of control. Um, and so many people, because like I, I mentioned earlier, these policies are more generous than people think. A lot of hospitals around here probably will waive 100% of your medical bills if you're at or below 250% of the federal poverty guidelines. Um, and then they, there's usually like a sliding scale from there for discounted care. Um, that covers a lot of people. A ton of people. Yeah. Well, I think what I what I appreciate is like I think there's a conversation that that we need to continue to have in communities across the country around like the benefits cliff and and the effects of credit score. Like literally, when you go to apply for a job, how how impactful that is in just getting good employment. Or you know, like you said, transportation is related to employment. So you, your ability to access good transportation, whether or not it's buying a car for your family to move about your community, is tied to your credit score. And so if you have this medical debt kind of hanging over your head, and so that's where, that's where I think like as we think about this idea of quality jobs over good jobs, it, it, it encompasses all of these things. And, and if somebody has this thing like, well, I, I, it's actually, I, I can't fathom having to make the decision where it's better for me to quit my job so I can have Medicaid than to have a job and provide for my family through uh, honest kind of quality gainful employment. Like I just can't, I can't even fathom that as a human being. The, the other one that is wild is, um, I think it's like one in three Americans will just neglect care mm -hmm. because they can't afford it. Yeah. Um, we see that all the time where people are just not getting the treatment that they need. And then when something happens, it's 10 times worse than it should have been. And then they're out of work for an extended period of time. Oh, that's, I mean, that's the other side of it. So it's like, yeah. so all of a sudden I've got this debt. And so it's like, well, I can't afford to go to the doctor, but I've got this pain. Yeah. And so then they don't. And then it just makes it worse. And then they can't work. I mean, it's just like yeah. this vicious cycle that we find ourselves in, all related to things like medical debt. And yeah, that one is extremely common. The uh, I avoided this. I put it off because I can't afford it. Um now I'm not able to work or I was just, you know, so it, 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 it bleeds into everything. Um, and we know that they're like within that, you know, first little, uh, month of the viral video, 
think we had like $200 million of medical bills submitted through that eligibility screener. Mm. Um, $200 million? $200 million. Gosh. Which, which you're like, oh my gosh, that's such a huge number. That isn't even... <laughs> I like, know it's not. The estimated amount of, of outstanding medical debt right now is like $180 billion in America. Wow. And so it, it's like there are hot spots around the country where we see it, you know, Texas, Florida. Um, and what creates a hotspot? Like, what do you mean by a hotspot? Most of the time it's states that didn't expand Medicaid. Okay. Um, and some states will add laws. So there's this federal law that basically is, is pretty darn loose, actually. It's like, you're a nonprofit hospital. You have to have these policies you have to give patients at least 240 days to apply. You have to, like, there's like very mm-hmm. basic rules. But then they're like in Oregon, Washington, they've added to that. They've created state laws that said, okay, um, you can't sue a patient that you haven't vetted for charity care. You can't even send a patient to collections hmm. without vetting them for charity care. Um, you know, they make the minimum 300% of the federal poverty guidelines. So wow. th- they'll do things to, to like bulk it up. Um, and then in, in these other states, those just don't exist. Yeah, specifically, like you said, where they did not expand Medicaid. Yep. Fascinating. So I totally get the story, like what initially, personally motivated you. I mean, you've been at this for a while. So, and I see your excitement. So like we're sitting across the table from one, from, so people can't see that. Like I see your excitement in kind of describing the challenges before you. What right now get you super excited like why why stick with it why what makes you continue to be passionate for the work that your organization continues to do so that little ticker that i mentioned earlier yeah um is the coolest freaking thing <laughs> so <laughs> I, I want that ticker <laughs> it, 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 it is and um i think that because i was doing this for so long and I was doing all the patient work. I mean, every single patient that got helped for the first couple of years was because I filled out the paperwork. Wow. And having those conversations with patients, like I know what the impact is. Um, so there's that. Then this idea that we have this opportunity to do it larger than anything that I was ever expecting uh, is really exciting. And I, I mentioned this earlier of like having impact on hospital policy, like if, a, if we can get a hospital to say, okay, fine, we won't deny people because of minimum bill amounts or we won't deny people because of insurance or whatever, that will impact tens of thousands of people in that area. Um, so I think that, you know, the idea that, that we could have that big of an impact um, is really exciting. And to the best of my knowledge, we're the only organization <laughs> in, in the country that's, that's doing this. So... I kind of feel like, well, I have to do it also. But I mean, I, I, I love, I love what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, never thought it would get here. Well, I'm glad you have the ticker. Cause I think, I do think you have to be reminded sometimes of like, cause it's hard. I mean, like at this point you're probably with seven team members and 200, 200 plus volunteers, not processing personally those things. And so to constantly be reminded like I think the practice of reminding and remembering is a is a 
is an important practice because like sometimes we lose sight of those powerful like real moments of change and then it's like okay great man that that was a person that ten thousand dollar cancellation of debt that was a person or a family a family of five a family of whatever um and that's 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 impactful there are ones that happen that are almost like they're just like too cool you know uh (laughs) what's your coolest like you say that like do you have one where you're like i remember this one um i think yeah so there was one one kid that reached out and uh it was, I think it was on Instagram. He was like, hey, man, I just want to let you know I saw your video. I followed the steps. I just got $100,000 waived for my mom. And uh, so then there's that whole idea of like, we don't have to do it for mm. people. We can empower patients to do this themselves. So we just from that one little interaction, I, we created like this whole educational hub of like, we can just empower patients to do this. I don't want to be the bottleneck for this. Sure. If patients just want to take the info and run, like go wild. And um, so he said, so can I volunteer and do this for other people? So like now he's a volunteer doing this for others. That's and cool. so I think that those are like. So what does a volunteer do? Uh, so there's a couple options. One, there's <laughs> like uh, you can be an ambassador where you're basically just like I'm spreading the word. So am I a volunteer today because I'm helping spread the word? Oh, yeah. You're, you're an <laughs> ambassador you already. Uh, Thanks. And so there, there's that. Um, we, we do college uh, clubs, so we've got one at UT Austin. We've got one at um, uh, NYU, um, VCU, and, and they're a bunch of students that are passionate about it, a lot of, like, med students, and, mm. and they're, you know, spreading the word. Um, then you can be a patient advocate. You can actually fill out the forms for these patients, send it into hospitals, help them get their medical bills waived, and then in, in our little slack celebration thing we we always tag the individual that helped oh, with the cool. with the patient so it's kind of you know we're all like cheering each other on that's really so cool. um those are the two most popular things um we need all the help we can get so sometimes we'll have like nerds that'll reach out and be like hey i'm a tech person you want to help <laughs> sure. i can help you with that um which is fantastic um but the two main things would be yeah uh ambassador and then patient advocacy okay so I'm excited you're here, and as a uh, you know, as a citizen in a in a community like this is huge. So what what keeps you up at night? And then like you know, as we talk about like people in our community or listeners, like how can they? I mean, besides volunteering, like what are the things that keep you up at night, and how can people help move forward? Like you said, I mean, like it doesn't have to be you, your organization. Like your your mission is bigger than even dollar four as an organization. It's advocating for patient rights and helping cancel debt to see more families restored, communities thriving. So like what keeps you up at night? How can people get involved? Yeah. So right now our biggest need, and this is going to sound silly because we we had our big viral moment and whatnot. We've kind of been riding the social media wave and it's been great, but it's, it's like the dust is starting to settle. We need to figure out how do we get patients outside of social media? <laughs> so stuff like this, um, like one of the main things that we're going to do is hire a community organizer um, in Louisville that will be getting this out, local organizations, partnering with local organizations that are serving similar populations. Like there's so much overlap. If you are in affordable housing uh, and and you are working for a nonprofit that that is helping with affordable housing, there are people 
that have medical bills. <laughs> like, yes. And they, you know, we, we can be a, a resource for them. So, uh, getting the word out outside of social media. The other thing is like, who's on social media primarily? Young people. There's a lot of old people that have medical bills. So how are we reaching the communities that are most impacted? Um, and looking at this through an equity lens of like, we know that Spanish speaking communities have this way harder. Um, how do we, how do we translate our forms? How do we make this more accessible? Um, you know, so all of that, um, trying to get yeah the education out there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think we, we do take for granted, like, and, and, and I, I think, you know, from a growth orientation perspective, it's like, man, the market's so big on social media, which is true, but the market's even bigger and the needs are even greater sometimes with people that don't have access to these platforms. And so it's awesome. But how do we get to that, you know, 55 year old grandmother that has been saddled with medical debt for the last 20 years? Yeah. From low tech needs low help. Tech, to, you, low you know. tech. And yeah. like, this would radically change her life in a way that's just unreal. So. Yeah, the other thing that keeps me up at night is uh, when people pay their <laughs> when people pay a medical bill oh. with a credit card. So like, oh shoot, I don't have this money, but this hospital is going to take my home. Okay, I need to put this on a credit card right now. So they do that. They do that all the time. So then it's and I and it's like you try and educate people on this of like you would much rather have hospital debt than credit card debt. Hospital's not going to charge you 20%. Well, because like you said, like even if you're on a negotiated payment plan, yeah. it's going to be better than paying 25% on a credit card bill. Yeah. But and then that, there's no advocacy that you're able to work there. Probably. It, exactly. Because it's like, what are you going to do? They're like, not going to pay you back that money that you've already. Yeah. It's, uh, so so the, there, there are things that, that can happen in the process that, and it's not the patient's fault. It's just like the predatory like nature of, the collect, you know, the collections process and the hospitals, like if they can get the money, they'll take the freaking money, you know? So trying to educate people on like, okay, here are best practices, um, outside of charity, even if you're not eligible for charity mm-hmm. care, um, there's still things it's like, like, don't do this. <laughs> don't yeah. Even this. if you're outside of charity care, you can get on the payment plan, yeah. which is going to be better than the credit card. Yep. But or I think, negotiate or, yeah. yeah. And I think that's that fear mentality of like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. So then what we do is we put it onto that 0% credit card for 12 months, and then we try to find another one, and then all of a sudden we're paying 25% on a $10,000. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Man, thank you so much. No, thank you. Appreciate <laughs> I it. mean, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm excited for the work you're going to do here. Um, so thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. If you're listening to this episode and you or someone you know has medical debt, please go to dollar4.org slash help today. And if you'd like to volunteer or donate to this amazing organization, please visit their website at dollar4.org. Again, if you'd like to learn more about the Reconstruct Challenge and more of these impactful organizations, please check out reconstructchallenge.com. And if you'd like to explore designing your own Reconstruct Challenge to identify and fund innovative interventions to some of your community's most pressing challenges, there are ways on the website to learn about partnership. As always, thanks for listening and stay up to date by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a review so others can find us as well. More Than Profit is a production of Access Ventures. Direction, design, and editing is done by our friends at Render, a public benefit innovation studio in Louisville, Kentucky. 
To learn more about their work, check out workwithrender.com. As always, I'm Bryce Butler with Access Ventures. Thanks for listening.